At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the No Bad Dogs podcast with me, Tom Davis, America's Canine Educator. Today, uh, so this is the second podcast I'm putting out this week because last week I fell behind and I apologize. So today I'm delivering you yet another great podcast with my buddy Forrest Mickey. Forrest is a dog trainer that uh, primarily has been specializing in advanced competitive obedience as well as uh, dog ring sports and decoy work. And you may have seen him on the Learberg videos as well as uh, he teaches at the Michael Ellis School for Dog Trainers in California. So Forrest and I have been doing these lives during the quarantine because it's fun and we have conversations a lot anyway. So we just decided we would answer some questions and record it and distribute to you guys just because that's what we want to do. So this is just a conversation between Forrest and I and I think it's a cool opportunity for people to um, listen in on basically a conversation between two dog trainers discussing topics that were presented by you guys as the listeners or viewers and uh, we appreciate you guys taking the time out to listen to this podcast and I appreciate you guys listening so here we go with Forrest and I. West Coast Dog Training asks how do you leave how long do you leave collars on e-collars on and when do you take them off when do you prefer to take them off so Mm. the question is really when, when should you be taking them off? Can you leave them on all day? It looks like the question is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Usually don't leave them on all day, but I'll keep them on as long as I would assume I would need them. Uh, so I don't want to draw a lot of attention to the collar. That's probably one thing. Uh, so they don't go on just before I'm about to do a training session and off right after. I would surely put them on in advance, well enough in advance. So that's not such an event that happens uh, for the dog before training. And then um, if you know I'm halfway through my day, and uh, if if I have a dog that I'm doing some remote collar training with, or or might do some remote collar training with, uh, I would I would might I might keep it on if I foresee a session going on out in the future, or if you know I've got a dog here that I'm working on some remote collar stuff with, that uh, like around my other dogs, or if I need it still, I'm going to keep it on and I'm not going to take it on and off. If I'm done with it. If I don't think I'll need it throughout the day, if there's not going to be a situation that comes up where I might want to lean on that collar for something or that some of the training I'm doing isn't called for that collar, uh, then I would take it off. Yeah. Take it off yeah and, so. and I think for me, it's just, yeah, same thing. I, I, um, I mean, if my dogs are going to be off leash, um, on my property or anywhere else, I, they're always on. Um, and I think mm-hmm. a lot of the, I think most questions I get about that is, is people worrying about any type of effects it could have on them physically. Um, Right. Yeah. I haven't, I mean, as long as you're taking it off at night and maybe if they're in their crate taking it off, but do you, have you had any experience with leaving the the collar on too long and it having 
uh, physical effect to, to their skin? Yeah, yeah. Long ago, I had one dog that that had happened with, and we were doing a lot of swimming throughout the day. And I just feel like the contact points, that's the, the, the common thing people say, especially if your dog's getting wet, make sure to move it around because just that being in touch with the skin for a long period, anything being in touch with the skin when there's moisture and stuff for a long yeah. period of time could be effective. So not even using the stimulation on it. But yeah, I think the, the correct answer would be, well, if I feel like I'm going to need it, it's going to stay on. Yeah. And then probably aren't going to need it at night so you can take it off. Yeah. I'll, maybe I'll give a specific example. Birdie does wear the remote collar uh, here and there, not not every day, but it kind of depends on what kind of day I'm going to have. And so in the morning when I get up, if we're going to have a day where I'm working outside a lot and um, I'm practicing maybe some recall stuff and I'm maybe conditioning to her to the collar, uh, which I have recently for recall work, then um, I would have it on her and I'd put it on right in the morning and yeah. not draw a bunch of attention to it. And then she can wear it throughout the day. And even at lunch, if I'm going to come in and hang out, have a little, like have a nice lunch and read something or have some time to myself, I would take it off while the dogs rest too. And I would put it on again before we would, you know, start the second half of our day. So yeah, but okay. yeah, I yeah. could leave it on her all day. She could be moving around, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing too that I find uh, that was pretty cool actually is I've never used, I don't know if you've used before is, Dogtra had sent me uh, one of their newer units, which is a small little IQ Mini, and it's actually had plastic contact points. So um, that was pretty interesting because, I mean, that, that would I would assume, like, if your dog is a swimming dog, dock diving constantly in the water, and they do have some sort of, um, I guess, reaction to the water and the, and the contact points, the plastic uh, collar would be, the points would be uh, a good alternative. Plastic wouldn't conduct, conduct electricity as, as well as metal. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. I've, yeah. I've used interesting. I'm sure they've got it sorted. The technology behind it, but maybe I don't. Yeah, know it too is. Much about it that, is but. interesting because I didn't think. I thought maybe it was just going to be like a vibrating collar, and yeah. I put it on, and the stimulation's the same. It's it's pretty cool, and it's small. It's sleek. Cool. It's sleek. It's yeah. like it's not like this. It's more. It's more like almost square. It's pretty cool. It's pretty neat. Small okay. too. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right on. Got a lot of questions on this, uh, so it's not really specific to an individual handle or user. But a lot of questions on how to build confidence in a dog. And I got like probably five or six people asking that roundabout question. So if you want to give your input on how to build confidence in a, I think, just a dog in general. Yeah, cool. I think um, man, my, my partner, uh, Jordan, she's so good at this, th this type of thing or this area of dogmanship, if you want to say it. So I really like watching her interact with, with animals. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of things we do. So just training in general, if you're, you know, putting time into training and you enjoy teaching your dog things. And so whatever develops between you and the animal, just by teaching them stuff, I think builds them, can build their confidence. And I would, um, as you're taking, if you're teaching them skills and you're bringing that out into the real world, I would just be mindful about the type of environment you're jumping into and what kind of expectations that you have for your dog. Um, it should be fair and the dog should be able to win a lot in training. So make it make it easy and make it easy for them to succeed. Yeah. Uh, I like, there's um, a lot of stuff that we'll do at a young age with dogs just to get them uh, like confident in their bodies and confident to explore their surroundings. So just for example, one thing that a lot of the young dogs that uh, like I'll raise or be around will learn is just to jump up on things. And in specifically in the sport work that we do, like we have something called a touch pad or a perch where a dog will learn to put their front feet on something. And we use that to support a lot of other behaviors that we make, but that translates over to a bunch of stuff. So like birdie, because we've used it so much on walks. Like if I just say, Hey, go touch, she'll run over to the nearest rock and plant herself up on there. And 
look at me like expecting something or even just saying, look at, are you proud of me because, you know, I'm able to do this thing. And then they can, they can get more difficult. Like, Hey, go try on that, go, go climb on that tree that's fallen over or go jump from this rock to that rock. And I think dogs are natural explorers and kind of like that stuff. So the more you could like get out in the environment, get out in the woods and teach them to uh, muck around on things. I think that's really cool. Uh, we do a lot of body awareness stuff with dogs. So we get very detailed about how we teach them to move and then draw awareness to certain parts of their bodies. And I think that can be infinitely helpful for them feeling confident in their bodies, but also, um, you know, their, their mind is at work when you're doing that stuff too. And for the detail that we like for our sport work, that stuff can be really helpful when we can teach a dog to be aware of their bodies and moving around. Uh, but just anybody with any dog can have fun playing with that stuff. And there's tons of information out there, uh, now with that. And then here's something cool. Uh, this will get a little bit specific with training, but uh, a strategy that we would use a lot with dogs that would come in that were shy or um, maybe uh, had unfavorable or unhealth had unfavorable reactions or unhealthy feelings about certain stimuli in their environment. Um, and so, let's say for example, your dog a dog was nervous about sounds, and if you were to drop a book near them, that would really uh, cause them to be anxious. They would panic a little bit, or they would have a reaction that was kind of strong. So they were afraid of that. And so instead of doing something like that, you could, uh, then this is just a strategy that would use a lot of training, teach the animal to be in control of that stimulus or that sound. And so, um, like with certain dogs that would come in that would have, uh, that would be afraid of sounds, we would teach them to like ding a bell or push a book over. So the sound happened because they did something to make it happen. And once they feel like in control of the stimulus, like they made it happen, it's less scary to them. And so that was something like with dogs that had issues with um, just if stuff would happen around them and they were really aware of their environment, we would teach them to interact in their environment more and even teach them to um, like create the sounds that they were afraid of. And in a sense, then they had control over it. And that did a lot for their brain. So that yeah. was kind of to be creative in that sense. It's kind of fun. Yeah. And I think, I think too, just uh, on that point is just having them access different parts of their 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 body and their brain and, and learn new things just in general. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same application with people. I hear a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, I, I listen to a lot of different podcasts and um, try to be mindful of my of my mental health as as mm. uh, you know this coronavirus and trying to oh, trying to corona. just yeah. Uh, but I think <clears throat> I think just giving them the opportunity to do something new in general. Like, yeah. like you said, like touch pads, like, Hey, what's this? Oh, you know, maybe give them a little bit of food for getting up there. Um, and just kind of free shaping them and teaching them new things on their, on their pace. Yeah. And yeah. I think, I think it's the same transition. Like you said, um, having the dog do something physically <clears throat> then triggers something that they may be normally afraid of because mm-hmm. they did it. And I mm-hmm. think that's like the same access point of like, doing something and then getting paid for it, mm-hmm. whether it's verbal reward, verbal praise or food motivator or whatever. But mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think mm-hmm. getting a dog out and just getting them to do new things, just like with people. I think if you, if you're stuck in a house and not really exposed to new environments or, um, not really doing anything, uh, then yeah. you're going to be not desensitized to everyday stuff that could seem, you know, and then of course we talk about, dogs who've been you know abused in the past that have a pretty good reason mm. to be the way that they are nervous and not apprehensive about yeah suspicious mm. about everything so i think just taking it mm. slow 
uh, and letting them explore, like you said, mucking around and just, you know, being a dog going through the woods on a long line or off leash and just really mm-hmm. being a dog. I think that that can gain a lot of confidence pretty quick. I think people look into too much textbook of like how to build confidence. And I think it just, it's um, on, in that situation, it's very, very, very case by case. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. Cause it could be specific things like I'm not confident, you know, around this, around dogs or around Men. people or with noises. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we find mm. that a lot. Just dogs are, yeah. uh, they, they get triggered. That confidence is triggered by like, especially with me. Cause I'm a, I usually have like a little scruff and I'm a, I'm a man and, um, dogs usually come in and they have a fear. You got a deep raspy voice. You walk really. around with sound, your machismo. <laughs> I actually sound like more like a girl than anything, but and we see that a lot. And you know, I, I'm definitely. Do you have the time <laughs> to listen to me? One. Forrest and I love Green Day, but um, just like you know, being super empathetic to certain. Like I definitely take that into consideration when dogs come in and they have been neglected, abandoned, or abused in the past. I don't try to force anything uh nor should you force anything in confidence building but just i think desensitization and being patient with new things overall yeah yeah it helps to make things predictable too in a lot of senses so i think that uh, and lack of predictability causes trouble for humans as well animals in general but can be troublesome for dogs so just like we were talking about the noises earlier, if an animal can predict when those things are going to happen because they're the ones that are actually causing it, that yeah. can be a good thing. If they can predict when they come up and see somebody new that they're not going to have to greet them or they're going to make predict that you've got things under control, then I think they can settle into themselves and be a health, in a healthier headspace. Yeah. So. And I think dogs just react a certain way to things that they, they can't figure it out. Like it, that's why I think thunder is such a weird thing for dogs is because they just can't, they can't locate where that thing's coming from. And I've, <laughs> I've had dogs like trip over a log and it may be a long log and at the end it moves. And so they, they put their paw on one end and the other end moves and then they run away and then they kind of, invest, yeah. they investigate a little bit and that builds confidence. Yeah. They're like, Oh that's, yeah, that's me. I did that. And then it's over. Yeah. It's kind of like, the, yeah, the, cool. The, yeah. Anyway. Um, cool. <clears throat> so that's it for confidence. Just slow and steady, uh, get creative with it. Um, Lots of motivation, lots of positive reinforcement, and just, uh, yeah, take your time with it, I'd say. All right, at Jeff in Jersey, ask, uh, what's your me- your method, not me, because I've, I've only done this like twice in my life. Um, what's your method for teaching the stand command? <laughs> um, I, I guess I'm laughing. Why is it so because... funny? I was like... Yeah. <laughs> well, I actually put out a tutorial on my uh, Instagram probably five, four, five months ago now because I was teaching it pretty early with Birdie. So do you want to just um, pass right through it quick and I'll tell that person to go look on your Instagram? <laughs> I don't know. Is that rude? Oh, um, well, it'd be it's, easier. It's, it can, it, yeah, it can be pr- uh, pretty involved, but I would say that it's a combination of things. So we teach dogs to reverse lure. So um, specifically, we start with a closed hand. A closed hand has a number of applications in the training that we do. It's, it becomes a focal point for the dog to um, – to look at, so to hold. Um, there's food in it in the beginning, so they want to kind of be there close to it. We also teach them not to touch it, so there's a level of control that they must have while they're focusing. They can't meddle with the hand at all so they're or kind ac- of like try to access food. This? Yeah, so we call it yeah impulse control. So that's the first uh, way that we teach it. So they control their impulses, they stare at the thing, and that's probably what means they're going to get food 
uh, is if they do those two things in the beginning. And then we can start to push the closed hand into them, which can create space. We can call that reverse luring. So instead of teaching the dog to track forward in a hand, we can teach them to move away from a closed hand. And then that has to do or lends itself to spatial pressure too. And so with generally with long-bodied dogs or even with any dog in general, the stand from any position is just a matter of getting up and backing up. That's kind of what we like the dog to do is pop their back legs back. And so if you had a puppy that was standing in front of you and you could teach them at the very least in the beginning just to move away from your hand or back up a little bit, you're already so far along towards achieving your stand command or the stand behavior, not the command, but the behavior itself. And so if the dog learns that if you put a hand down in front of them and they've backed away from that thing with enthusiasm, they're likely to get the reward, then you're already in a good position. And then you can start to, like we use, me personally, uh, not, not you know to, to each their own, but I like to use a lot of uh, like body language and hand games in my training. I'm not afraid of that stuff. I think it really is helpful for me and goes beyond the sport training that I'm kind of talking about with, with the detailed stand right now. Um, but the spatial pressure will come in too. So even if the dog knows to, in the context of our training, if I move into them, they know to back up. You know, I could say uh, a word stand and move into them and they shuffle back and I can, you know, click and throw a piece of food at them. Uh, now they're hearing a word they may not understand yet, but they're seeing this movement into them or the hand into them, which they do know what to do with. And then they get paid. Uh, and then... Yeah, and then they get paid for it. So we do build that stuff with with food. But yeah, reverse luring and spatial pressure are, are great ways to do it. And we like to see the back legs pop back on yeah. the dog. Now, what would be the uh, – this is a me question. What would be the, the – the, would that be a bridge? Would that be – it's not free shaping because the, you are giving the dog some sort of pressure to perform the behavior. What's the mm. <clears throat> what's the in-between? Like you, you, the dog has – you've already worked on spatial pressure with backing up. What's mm-hmm. what's the in between? It's not capturing a behavior because what is it a bri- would you be bridging things? <clears throat> yeah, well, the, and the, the so like you could say like uh, you, you walk to, you walk towards a dog and then they back up without the the mm-hmm. cue because you haven't yep. taught them that cue yet. Yep, yep. So that's just a learned behavior right there. So if I've taught the dog if I move into them and they move backwards from me. Uh, and I mark and reward that. I've just captured that behavior then essentially. What, and mm. Sorry, at what point do you like capture it when they do it correctly? When I see intent. Yeah. Uh, in so the beginning, yeah. In the beginning, I'll, when I see intent. So, um, so that's generally when you're making new things, like you're trying to teach a dog new things. It's a, it's a pretty smart idea, I think, for the confidence of the dog and also for the expediency of learning that when you see some initiation by the dog to do the behavior that you're after, even though it might not be the complete thing, it's good to mark that right. in the beginning because that's going to make them want to play the game uh, more. It might go. not be the complete yeah. yeah, might not be the complete thing, but at least they're like, shit, I must be on the right track yeah. in some sense here. And yeah, so. and that's like right at that moment, that's where – and the reason why I was asking for like – because I don't know what to call it, but that's like where I start getting really excited and get like goosebumps where I'm like, we're almost there. You know, and you get – I just get all jacked uh-huh. up when you're like in mm-hmm. that space where you're mm. in between what you've like done foundational imprinting for, for like this is going to – like when you do a lot of your healing stuff. Mm-hmm where you're like, it starts to actually come to life. That to me mm. is like the most exciting thing. And I'm always like, look, we're, we're, we're almost there. And I want to call it something a little bit more. Uh, yeah. You know. Well, you could say there's a, there are some terminology that we could like for, for folks that might be watching this. So, um, you know, small pieces along the way towards a bigger, bigger behavior are approximations. And so we say, I'm going to, I'm approximating this 
or here's an approximation of the bigger behavior. And so um, they're the small steps that we achieve on the way to the greater goal. And we call those approximations. And so in a sense, when you start to see pieces come together towards a bigger goal, you're, you're, you're probably approximating towards something ah. or you're building towards something. Would, and a, a bridge, bridge just connects two things. So like when you say, yeah, you know, yeah, when yeah, we yeah. click, when, when if folks use a clicker, uh, just a marker, right? And they click and that predicts the treat. The clicker uh, is a bridge. The sound is a bridge to the food. It connects to the food. And that's important when we're trying to get the dog to be aware of small little behaviors that they're efforting. And so yeah. the dog shows some intention and we want to say, that's the right intention. Good for you. And then you, you know, yeah. you give your click or we say verbal things. Yes. And you give them food. that marker bridged the, or connected the behavior to the access of food or the right thing. Yeah. I get, yeah, that makes sense. I get really excited. Yeah. About and we that. use, we can use plat, we can use physical aids that can help like, um, like bridge understanding. Like when I use a touch pad that can serve the purpose of like, if I'm standing next to a touch pad and I tell the dog to go, Hey, touch. And they know that simple behavior and they end up running and putting their feet on the touch pad, but it also happens to be by my side and heel position. You're kind of helping connect that to a, to a new behavior or yeah. greater thing. And so you can say that that's bridging as well. But yeah, it just bridges you to the next part of the, I, I, I say it like micro macro where I'm like, you know, the mm. micro is, touchpad but the bigger picture is going to be a nice heel or yeah or i also put it into play like my sister used to do dance <clears throat> like mm. ballerina type stuff um mm. and um she i always tell people like when you're learning a recital you know at the end of the mm -hmm. season or whatever it is um they do individual little steps to make the recital and that's the way i explain mm -hmm. it but yeah so yeah. approximations is a little bit more i think that that's probably what you're correct. looking for yeah and then you know the old the old um Pavlov thing, like the bridge. He's the the guy that first had it with, like, well, the Classical when the conditioning and yeah, but when his people that were feeding the dogs would show up, the visual picture of them predicted the food. But then he started putting it on a bell, right. uh, and so that's what predicted the food. So those are the technical bridges just, that yeah, we, we got used it. To talk so you're just getting warmer mm -hmm. and warmer and warmer to what you want. Yeah, that's that's yeah. that's why I, I a lot of people had asked me like, how did I get into dog training? Once I got the feeling that I get like internally when I'm about to do that thing that I'm like mm. associating and uh, approximating mm. now, um, that's where I get really excited. Like there's endorphins in my brain that go off. That's why I know yeah. that I'm doing what I love to do because when I yeah. get even on a behavior modification, once I see, see the dog start going, Oh, okay. That's it. Just, it's an overload of emotion and it's overwhelming. So anyway, yeah. now I know how to say it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's All right. cool. Well, you here, I'll just, I'll just say yeah, this sure. really quickly. There's um, a friend of mine had recommended this book that I'm listening on tape and it's called drive. I'm sure other people are talking about this, but it just, it talks about, uh, it's essentially about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation, but you know, what, why people do what they do. And it is about people, but it's fun to apply it to, to dog training or consider how it can apply to dog training. You mean like, and sorry, but you mean do what they do as in like a career? Sure. Or just, yeah, in life in general, but yeah, they okay. do talk a lot about why somebody would show up to work each day and perform a certain ah. task. Uh, and in the, you know, in the past, up until really the middle, middle seventies, the mid seventies, when some smart economists and psychologists started looking at this stuff, with more curiosity, it was, um, you know, basically the from the industrial revolution onto the modern Western world, we built like companies built themselves and organizations built themselves on 
what probably isn't a sufficient enough motivation model right now to define how people are actually choosing to live their lives and make their monies and spend their time. And it used to be you define a task and you incentivize it properly. Like you add a monetary, you're going to get X amount of dollars to do this. And then you oversee them to make sure that they do what they're meant to do. And so if that worked for a long time and it still works, uh, you know, to this day, some people can live within that system. But like, you know, for me, I left, uh, just just a personal example. I left a job that I was making uh, good money at, and um, you know felt pretty good about doing to become uh, a dog trainer to pursue dog training because there was something that I was getting out of the dog training that meant more than that that paycheck at the time. So you couldn't you know really give me enough money to stay doing the thing that I was doing because I, I had to follow this thing that in, intrinsically gave me some value that What's allowed me to actualize myself. Called drive. drive. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, you like it. Yeah. It's you, cool, man. And it's it's like go ahead. You're listening to it on tape? I am. On Audible. Oh, okay. Because I've been I've been I thought you meant yeah. like the old or, Walkman like Oh yeah, I guess. Well, Kevin McAllister. I still say that, yeah. <laughs> Books on tape. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Uh, that's funny i think i want to keep saying it that way though dude it's a book on tape yeah, i was like but you know like when i'm outside gardening or whatever sure like, yeah like, a, that thing like a, yeah uh, like audio i got it but like when you say yeah. book on tape i'm like thinking like kevin McAllister, walkman like you know yeah like actual yeah. tape like i'm gonna bring that back yeah yeah i'm gonna bring that back my buddy uh carter carter levy carter wild uh recommended that to me i'm sure other people have read it it's cool i'll just um here would be an example right uh so they uh, just just of like how people can <clears throat> consider the motivation. I think everybody gets this. Most folks that get into dog training are doing it because they've got a passion for it. Yeah. And it makes them feel alive inside, and you can explore and create and do something with the animal. And you can't attach a monetary value to that thing because it's just so freaking cool. Don't ask me to do it for free though, right? Like you got to pay me. I think what what would be like if I'm working with somebody doing a seminar, you should probably pay me what like. And, uh, and honest wages or uh, competitive wages, but I don't need to make X amount of dollars because this stuff means more to me than that. Here would be an example, though. There, just a study they did over in the UK with people donating blood. They had three different groups, and one of the groups, um, it was people that just they gave blood just because they wanted to and out of the goodness of their hearts, and they felt like they were doing something uh, that was helping others. Sure. And then another group, they another group, they said, "Hey, if you give blood, we'll give you X amount of dollars." And then a the third group, they said, "Hey, if you give blood, we'll give you." Uh, X amount of dollars to donate to a charity or we'll donate X amount of dollars to a charity. And they were interested in what group uh, would come back, would be, would come back and give blood more. And the group that was, had the highest return rating for blood donation was the group that did it without any incentives. They did it because they wanted to out of their own freedom, out of their own autonomy, out of their own goodwill, their choice. And if you try to attach money or a monetary value to my good deeds or my good nature and it takes away from the purpose or the meaning of it like don't do that don't try to attach a dollar sign to like my benevolence is kind of the idea so you can actually for things that people would tasks that people would do for free anyway if you try to attach money to them it can be demotivating what's kind of interesting too is in this book they talk about like uh Kids, this is just human nature, but Tom Tom Sawyer, there's a story about Tom Sawyer, and he had to paint his aunt's fence, right? And she had all this big long white picket fence that he he was he was meant to paint. So he's out there painting it, and a friend comes by, right? And he and he doesn't want to do the job, right? But he's he's a smart kid, so he's gonna try to get some people to help him out. But he doesn't want them to think it's a drag, he wants them to think it's the most amazing thing in the world painting this fence, even though he'd rather not be doing it. Right. So a buddy comes along is like, oh man, you got to paint the fence. And he's like, dude, I get to paint the fence. Are you right. kidding me? This is, am- this is amazing. And the kid's like, 
oh, what? It's amazing. Well, let me paint one. He's like, no, dude, you don't get to paint the fence. This is my thing to do. And he's like, well, I'll, I'll give you my apple if you let me paint the fence. He's like, all right, well, just one, right? And he, he gets an apple and the kid, he gets his buddy to paint the fence for him, right? And these other kids come along and pretty soon he's got all these kids painting the fence, a job that you could look at and go, I don't want to do that at all. But because he approached it, it made it seem like it was something amazing to do. People wanted to do it and we're doing it just for for free paying to do it actually and that's important and that's important because they talk about like rearing the book is about humans not dogs but they talk about rearing kids and like that the if the first time you uh, without even like the first time you start to say hey if you do this then i'll give you that it makes the job it doesn't give the dog it doesn't give the job a chance to be worthy on its own yeah and the person that you're trying to get to do that job if you incentivize it right away they'll they'll go kind of the psychology behind it is they'll go oh that must not be a great thing to do because you're going to have to pay me for it so uh, right. i don't think i'd rather not versus saying dude let's go do the dishes or let's take out the trash that could be amazing and then you could actually get somebody on board if you treat it that way and they might do it because they perceive it as a great thing to do but it, it's it's a funny thing the easiest way to make a job seem like it's not that great to do without even giving it a chance to be awesome on its own just to pay is to add just to pay him for it yeah, yeah. anyway no it's a little reverse it's a, it's a rich rich it's a rich rich book so anybody out there you can watch listen to yeah. it or read no, that, it or whatever. that sounds good that sounds good mm-hmm. yeah a little reverse psychology i like that that's cool mm-hmm. All right. But you know, this is the this is what when they talk about free shaping with dogs, like um, you were you mentioned shaping before. Yeah. So there's you could probably break it down into a number. Of, you can break it down into different things, but like assisted shaping, uh, shaping is is basically you're paying. You are rewarding approximate small pieces of of behavior on the way to a greater one, right? So shaping is generally like you're just you're you're grabbing pieces that you want on the way to a bigger one and paying those things. And so you can assist in shaping, which might mean you use some body language or you have some props out there. And I think like a free shaping purist might say that you kind of just sit there and wait for the yeah. animal to off- offer things up. And then you stand there and then something happens and you click it and the animal learns to explore and try things. And that can be really powerful for a dog too. And I think that the work can become intrinsically motivating um, quicker for the animal if you let them explore and, and play around and become and discover on their own, which is important. We like to discover as humans. We like to go out and see what's what, like see what's inside of us and what we're made of. And the only way that we can do that is by going out and playing and trying things yeah. and learning what we're capable of. And that, like powerful. you can't put a dollar sign on that stuff either. Yeah, that's powerful. It's huge. There's, It's mm-hmm. like, um, like you said, it's the same transition to um, <clears throat> having a dog maybe go and like a touchpad for an example. Bloop, bloop, yes, boom. And they're like, whoa, this is kind of cool. And they're yeah. gonna have. They're probably gonna have more. Um, I guess more influence to just do that because they did it because they didn't get paid to do it first. They just mm. they, they were curious, so their brain wanted to do it anyway. And then oh, mm. I got paid for that, so that's cool. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good. I think uh, dogs can be quite proud of themselves. Yeah, and the person that asked about confidence, there you go. Like, play around and let your dog like make some choices. And, uh, you know, pay the things that you like or that are on a way to a greater goal. And I bet you'll open that animal up for sure. Yeah. All right, cool. Next question. IRMU. What's IRMU? What's your hat? It's RMU. Mount, <laughs> Rocky oh. Mountain Underground. I got to tell you, I am like losing my mind about not going out west. Like Taylor and I were talking last night. We were just looking at pictures of Colorado. And um, I'm losing it. I just need – so this is this is a uh, – this is a – a little, um, <clears throat> it's not like, a, it reminds me of a speakeasy only because it's kind of like a hidden gem in Breckenridge, Colorado. So it's like, 
yeah. on Main Street in Breckenridge, which is my most favorite place in the whole world. It's Breckenridge. Yeah, it's like the guy that I bought my house from. Well, he was my landlord for two years. Yeah, it's... He lives in Breckenridge. He's and... a principal of the middle school there. Yeah. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. It's my favorite place ever. I, I'm, I love it so much. I'm afraid to go sometimes because I don't want anything because it's such an escapism to me. Like when I when I'm there, I'm like I was born in Colorado. I have my dad has instilled like innate passionate feelings with the mountains, and I just love being like a little mountain town. You're like John Denver, boy. <laughs> Rocky Mountain High, Colorado. <laughs> Pretty much. But anyway, so that's Rocky Mountain Underground, and it's cool because the first time Taylor and I went, we just heard this band like playing like live music, and it was like, wow, that sounds good. So we like walked into this little bike store, and we're like, it sounds like it's coming from this bike store, and we're like, what the hell? And then we see all these dogs like running in and out. That's how Breckenridge. That's how a lot of mountain towns are. But um, and then we go out back, and there's this huge, not huge, but this little like cove with like nice astroturf and some sunset shale, uh, sun sails, and like a little stage. People playing acoustic guitar and a, and a bar, and it's sick. Anyway, that's where Rock, Rocky Mountain Underground is. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, um, I had a uh, client yesterday from Medford. Dope. Yeah. Medford, Oregon. That's where I'm at, man. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't gonna say it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Medford, Oregon is where you're at, but yeah. Oh, you don't want to tell people where I'm at? <laughs> hey, you did, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. I got big dogs that roam the property, dude. Nobody wants to be jumping, actually, on, jumping fences here. Yeah, that's how I found you, actually. Um, when I was coming up to your house, I was like, because it's not really, because you, you kind of live in like what I would consider, it's very, I mean, your your setup is, is wonderful, too. Uh, but mm. it kind of reminds me of like the Shire, like on Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It's my little sanctuary, man, for sure. Mine and Jordan. Yeah. It's really cool. And I remember coming up and I was like, where is this house? Because it's like not, you know, you can't really see the numbers. And I saw by Elza or yeah. something run, run, roaming around. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, next question. Diana C. Thorne. I'm not sure if that's how to say it, but Diana C. Thorne asked, my German shepherd is insane in car rides for any length of time. He pants, he whines, he never calms down. Help. My... <clears throat> And my advice to people is actually the same advice you gave to me one time where um, you're uh, Indy, right? Indy is your uh, yeah, she, female. She, she, yeah, she's not crazy about car rides. Yeah, yeah, and I remember I was like when we were in the van, she was like panting real hard. And I was like, what's her deal? And you're like, that's just how she wears her stress. And, and to mm. me, yeah, that, that was something I was like, yeah, hey, you, you know, like you can't – it's like – you can't it's like a very primalistic thing where you can't like if you're afraid of heights you can't really you can't really make them not afraid of that and i think dogs mm-hmm. just moving at fast paced some of them just don't do well they're they they're, right. their system gets sick and there's not yeah. like when people get motion sickness and stuff so for me i always tell people that um you can try to desensitize it over time maybe go into the car and not ride around it could be the car but a lot of times it's the movement and there's really not mm-hmm. much you can do about that. Do you have any mm-hmm. besides like, you know, CBD and trazodone for long trips, but other than that, do you? Yeah. Yeah. And what's kind of what's tough about like fielding quest- questions like this is, you know, like we, you know, as dog trainers, we have to know we need more information. Like what else is going on? How do you live with that dog? What yeah. kind of like extra, what kind of stimulation does it get throughout the day? Um, 
but yeah, man, that's a tough one. Like some dogs just don't feel good about riding in cars yeah. and some dogs are cool with it. Yeah. But at the very least you could, um, you know, you could manage the dog. Like you could, if, if they're manifesting their stress in ways, like they want to crawl up into your lap or like crawl into your skin and you're trying to drive and like, that's a pain in the butt and, uh, isn't safe. Then, yeah. you know, put your dog in a crate and let them hang out in there. And he actually, just because you had mentioned it does, um, good in a like in a crate like if i just put her in the crate it's like she can kind of hunker down and just be in yeah. there and trust that a little bit more and then um through, through with age and through experience because i lived in a van for nine months and just cruised around in that thing um she would be free so she learned to be free and she still didn't love it but she yeah and she just kind of like accepted her fate a little bit and i'll just say this like i just think whatever you know whatever dogs tend to be anxious or nervous about right like it might not be able to fix that stuff but but we can make efforts towards helping it. And one thing that, you know, we're always big advocates of is that make it, make sure your dog, you know, has as rich or as full of the, as a life as you can give them. So yeah. whoever the person with the shepherd is like, you know, if you can chuck ball for that dog or teach it some stuff or teach it to use its nose to find things, which is good for the brain too, but just see if you can expend a little bit more energy, both from the body and the mind. And then um, yeah. sometimes you like that can make, that can do wonders in areas if you're having some trouble or some problems with stuff. And then like what you said, um, like if, if the car is a troublesome place to be, um, you could try to help that experience along by taking, uh, you know, short trips. Like when you get yeah. into the car, you're not going for, for long car rides. Yeah. Um, Birdie that actually helped with, we started taking little short car rides to places that she really liked. Cause she wasn't crazy about the car when I first got her as a puppy. Um, and got her, had her in a crate and we were going from Mike's, Mike's school, California, back up home here. So it was a six hour ride. That was really her first experience in the car. And, um, she did, uh, throw up a little bit, uh, and, uh, like an hour into it. And, you know, that might've not, that might've just been because she had a, like a full belly, but it may not have correlated to the vehicle exactly. But, um, but she does wear a little stress in the vehicle and, she used to show resistance to getting in the vehicle, like yeah. the loading up in her crate when we're going to go places. But now she jumps in that thing and she's ready to go and she'll load right up in her crate. She's still not the craziest about it, but she likes where we're headed because I've been going and training in new locations a lot just to practice the stuff that we've learned. So anyway, I've seen, I've seen a pot more positive association because the vehicle does, doesn't last too long, the time yeah. in there and it's right. worth it when we get to where we're going. So the reward is enough almost to put up with that. It seems. Yeah. That's a good, good way. That's, that's what I, that's what I always suggest is, a yeah. sometimes there's just things in life that <clears throat> animals aren't accustomed to that we, you know, we like you said, like we give them the best of life, and sometimes they just have to do things that they don't love. And, yeah. Uh, who you got there, Elzer? Elzer, yeah, my bees. Ah, look at him. He's dude. He's, he's been great, man. He's so big. Like yeah, I was telling, is. when I get if and when I get a mal, I want to get something that resembles and i had a actually the same girl uh the jeff and jersey account we had a we had a nice conversation she actually does um she's she has a bomb sniffing dog and um cool so she does a lot of scent work and stuff and she was just asking like hey um i got when she, she was just having uh some reactivity issues with her malamon she does all of her her scent work with her lab and she had asked like are all mouths all the time like this and i said actually not I can give you an example of my friend Forrest's dogs. Like they'll lay on the couch and lay on you and cuddle and be really relaxed. And so, anyway, it's a good example because that's how. Yeah. I don't know if wasn't. That... Yeah, wasn't always that way, but surely <laughs> I've been I've been influenced, you know. But well, like you, the reason that I got into dogs is because I 
wanted compa- their companions to me and I like being around them. And, and so it was, uh, and then, and then like gravitating into the sport work, you saw that a lot of dogs for likely for good reasons, or it's just part of the culture. Like the dogs are kind of kept up a lot yeah. and that can, that can help the work. Like I've been actually bottling up the youngster birdie a little bit more because I want more energy for the work. Cause her favorite thing is kind of to chase the other dogs around on the property. <laughs> and my dogs do get a lot of freedom and they've got a lot of space now yeah. uh, in their, in their life. But so I'm, I'm, bottling her up a little bit more strategically so that I can put it into the sessions that come after that. But the point is that I've worked as hard on like allowing them to learn how to be uh, both like, both like just what's the, what the expectations are in the home and like the mind space that I wanted to be. I've worked as hard on that, yeah. giving them like that quality of life and access to what it means to be that as I have working on the sports stuff that I've, that I've done with these guys. So, yeah. so it's been to, as important that they had like good life skills as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they have to, you have to teach them how to be calm too. Like my Dutch, you got to like, fulfill them, man. You got to fulfill them. Yeah. <clears throat> and not saying she's per- not saying this person's not right. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. But my, my Dutchie's outside and all she wants to do is play Frisbee. So there's also some, like there's, there's some <laughs> seriously, like that's all. She just sits out there with her Frisbee in her mouth like this. And then yeah. if she knows I'm going to either bring her in or if I if she knows I'm going to load her up to go to the facility or something, she'll hunker down like this and go into a down and just watch me. She's like, don't, don't, don't ask me. Don't ask me because all she, <laughs> she, she, all she <laughs> like if we're at the facility, we have this big, long stretch where I play chuck it with her. <clears throat> and when she's gassed and her tongue's hanging out, she can hardly breathe, but she still wants to keep do- going. When I'm ready to load her up, she'll go into a down and just basically in, in what I e- make it equivalent to is like her just like being like, I don't want to, I don't want to. It's just, yeah. it's funny. I've never had a dog do that where she knows just with my intentions of like what I'm doing, what I have in my hand, where I'm going, how my energy is. She's like, all right, we're about to leave. And then she'll, she'll ask me really quick. Do I have to? And I'm like, let's go. And she's like, oh, okay. And she goes. So she would rather what, stay home in the backyard, just play Frisbee by she, herself? Yeah, no, what? she just, she'll sit there and just wait for somebody to go out and play Frisbee with her all day. She just sits <laughs> oh, there yeah. with, the, with the, with it's like a soft chuck it Frisbee. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. she'll just sit there with, and it's like hanging in her mouth and she just sits there all, like all day. And if you go out, she's got like, you know, those really intense, like, uh, is it, is it time? Are we going to do this? And like, no matter how much I drain her, like two or three times a day sometimes, and she's just go, go, go. So anyway, there are times. That's genetics, yeah. Yeah, there are times where you could, you can go and go and go and go, and you've done your part. They just never stop. They're just, you know, there's certain limitations to that. But anyway, so um, next question. uh, This is another combination question between a bunch of handles and users that had asked. engagement uh, with your dog and and I know that that's broad for you but I think the main question I got is transitioning off of food reward into just doing the behavior because maybe you want them to or if you ask them to so I guess the real question is how do you start transitioning um, engagement work uh, without food does that make sense mm. yeah um, and it's, it's a difficult question because it's really dog and handler dependent um, you know like at some point, my hope, this is all, this might sound a bit idealistic, though. My hope is that because of the amount of time and um, energy and care that I put into like both the relationship and tr- training specific skills with my dog, at some point, I hope it becomes uh, about more than like the, the transactional thing that we're doing or the food that I'm giving for doing said task. 
And at some point, I think the dog looks and goes, and I think, I think it's important to mention like dogs are, uh, like companion creatures. They like to be around us and share space and they, they naturally like look, look to us and affiliate with us. And so that's a very natural thing. And so I don't think that to have a deep, to have a deep bond or um, a good relationship with your dog that you need to do, say like food work with them or use it. It's just, it's really useful because it's easy to motivate dogs with food and then with the way that we like to train and how specific and specialized skills are coming now that we need to have them in a certain mindset, like a certain state of arousal, we often say in the sport world, in order to do these tasks with the sharpness and the speed and the vigor that they tend to do them with. And so we use food and toys to do that. And so in terms of like uh, weaning dogs off of rewards because um, it's, been a, it's been like five years since I've competed in dog sport, four, four years uh, but weaning dogs off of rewards um, in a way that allows them to go out in the field and perform the task that they're meant to do or the program that they're meant to do, like that can be a really involved conversation, really dog dependent, like yeah. how that ends up happening. But at some point, um, this whole, everything that we do, all the training and the fun stuff and the activity, it just becomes, it's not about, you know, accessing the, the big prize. It just becomes what we do at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just so much that goes into it. And, the dog will naturally just develop good feelings about the opportunities to interact with you. And so, but to be like, I could give a couple of specific things. Elves are sniffing around and bumping the camera right now. It's okay. But here, here would be one example about how you can start to like elongate, uh, how you can start to ask for more and giving less. And a variable reward schedule is an easy way to do that. And so if your dog is wow. doing something yeah. really well and you've been paying it a lot, then um, maybe you don't need to pay every performance of it or every response of that behavior when you signal it, but you could not pay that response and ask, and you could signal another behavior. Right. So you tell your dog to sit and they sit and you say, Hey, that's a good job. Or you don't say anything like now that now they've learned how to sit and then they're looking at you and they go, cool, I'm sitting. And then you say down and then they down. And then they're looking at you like, Hey man, I'm doing the down. You said, cool, that's good. Hey, how about a sit? And then they sit again. And you go, hey, I'll give you a piece of food for that one. Yeah. And the dog goes, oh, I'll just keep working. Like eventually he'll he'll reward me. Yeah. But the truth is, like especially man in like in, in the everyday life stuff. So engagement is something that we encourage anybody to start with with their dogs. And all we mean is like, hey man, teach your dog like that when they hang out with you, there's something in it for them, and that you're gonna be as invested in it as they are. And so like a lot of times when people go out with their dogs, the average pet owner, you know, they just put them on a leash and they walk around, and that's fine. You don't have to. But if you wanted to earn their attention. And if you want that dog to like at least seek you out on occasion to try to interact with you, then we say you should you should think about like the interaction in terms of engagement. Like your dog engages with you and you're engaged with them and you guys are both invested in some time together. And then an easy way to get them to part to invest is to teach them that there's something in it for them. And it can be something like we're talking about an incentive and a food incentive. But in the end, it's a mix of things. It's like I've taught you how to sit by using food and showed you that it's a good thing and you've got a good attitude about it. Uh, and then I've also taught you that if you break that sit before, you know, I've permitted you to, and I've, I've taught you a clear communication system and my expectations have been fair. And I've taught you in places that you were able to handle these lessons that I've given you. And now I've felt like we can take these lessons out into the real world and I can hold you accountable for those things. And we also, when we're giving out a dog a rounded, like a rounded education, when we're going to teach them about like um, physical tools like the leash 
or even like a remote caller if we're using that. We teach those tools away from the areas that we might want to use them eventually like to pressure the dog or to hold them accountable or to enforce certain behaviors. And surely when we start to introduce a dog to those, um, like those sensations, tactile cues or those tactile sensations, the leashes and the collars and all that stuff, it's not done in a way that's meant to um, appear punitive or alarm the dog or to be too much. They're suggestive. It's information in the beginning. And we teach them how to, um, like use that, how to go with that or interpret that information in a place that they're most able to do it. So an environment where there's not distractions about. And when we've captured their, you know, their imagination because they like the training with us anyway and there's always something in it for them. And we start to go, hey man, this is what a leash means. And when I lift the leash up this way over your head, you should put your butt down. And, um, and when I pull the leash down like this, you should go down and, into a down behavior, whatever. So we teach those things in a really smart way before we feel like we're going to call on them like in the world around us. And so that's part of engagement as well, though, is teaching them how to use or interpret the tools that we're going to want eventually use maybe um, in a more direct way. Yeah, no, that's it. That's good. I like that. And then the other thing, too, I find that, uh, you know, the generic question I get as far as engagement goes and how to transition from reward-based systems is to – I think that, you know, for me, I use food to develop behaviors. I use food for imprinting and rewarding every day with almost all the dogs I work with. But I also make sure that the dog is getting motivated by me as the handler. So I'm very lively. I'm very animated. My 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 voice inflection changes. Hey, good job. This is great. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm, and I'm very act. I'm activating with the dog. And so I find a lot of people, especially if you just, you know, and I think the ignorance is bliss type thing where if you just, if you don't have any clue that, that that's not what you have to do, then you're like, oh, well, that's a lot easier. But I find a lot of people will, <clears throat> especially just in basic transitions, like, okay, my dog only sits for food. My dog only downs for food, basic stuff, not huge transitions and bigger pictures. Um, but I think a lot of times people will think that they have to give them a whole cookie and then they wait, the dog chews it up. Mm, this is good. And then they move forward. So a lot of times I think just the, 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 the transition is just for me, like I'll take a piece of food. I don't have anything on me. I'll take a little piece oh, of food and I'll, uh, I'll basically almost frustrate the dog a little bit and I'll have them access just a little bit of the piece of the food. So if I'm doing healing exercises, downing exercises, even six, <coughs> I'll just have a little piece in my hand and they'll just do this and they'll chew it. And then I'll release it, and then I'll do it again. And I tell people, dogs, they would love to have the whole, the whole lot, but they also aren't mad if they get a little nibble or even a lick. So I think mm-hmm. a lot of times, too, people get too wrapped up in dispensing too much stuff. So that way, when you do transition, you've become so reliant and so dependable on – like we talk about uh, collar awareness, you know, just having mm-hmm. the dog be comfortable with the tools that we're using for communication – I think it's mm. the same thing. If you make if you make the reward a variable that you always don't have on you versus, hey, good job, because you're always going to have that. I think a lot of times people just don't realize that, especially if it's your dog, that they love you, they care about you, they want to see you get excited with them. And I think people tend to lean and crutch on uh, a lot of different things. And then when, when it comes down to obedience – and uh, like when people come in for consultations, my dog knows sit down, heel, stay. And I go out and I say, Fido, sit. 
And the dog's looking at me like, well, aren't you going to pay me? There's a lot more to this equation. <laughs> and then the owners yeah. are over in the corner shuffling for their food. And they're like, oh, wait, here's the treats. And so I think that, <clears throat> like I said, ignorance is bliss where people don't realize that I think we've become so de- – I don't want to say dependent because it makes it sound like I'm saying don't use food because I, I love using food and training. But I, I also think that people do too much because it's easy to see a result. Like there's a lot of uh, training centers or trainers that will have their mandated class of, of half a pack of hot dogs cut up before they train. And I always tell people that, you know, the 10 year olds over at the 4-H club can get dogs to, you know, uh, go around the room chasing food, but it really takes a little bit more craft to develop behaviors and the dog actually listening to you. So I think the transition can, like you said, uh, I forgot what you said, but it was basically like a ratio. I forgot what you said. I wrote it down, but I can't find it where you basically are Say say you ask the dog to do five different behaviors, maybe paying them once with food, but paying mm. but paying them every single time with a verbal phrase. Mm. So that's yeah. yeah. So that's my two. Yeah, you, I think yeah, that's good. One of you said something important, and when we did that Instagram live last week, we talked. I mentioned a guy named Peter Shirk, and he's yeah, a, a really well well known and, and important. I think IGP or IPO Schutzen, whatever you want to call it, trainer. And watching his videos, um, like I follow him on Instagram, so I like to watch what he's up to. And watching them recently has reminded me to get to get in front of the food a little bit more or behind it, whatever you want to say. But Because when he rewards with, like, say, a piece of food, he's really there and he's impressed with his dog. It's not just giving him a piece of food right. for doing something. He comes with it and he uh, says, yeah. man, that was a damn fine job and you're a damn fine animal and take a piece of food too but know that i'm here and i'm impressed yeah. with you and you can see the dog just laps that up and it's not just um, like an afterthought here's the food and let's do the next thing like he's he's genuinely impressed and is able to convey that to the dog uh, and comes with the food and i think that's an important thing and that's what you yeah. had just mentioned say this too there's a difference between like the state of the, the mentality we want the dog to be in for like i i do like sport training so even though my dog's um I work hard to make them good everyday dogs or like a pet dog, whatever you you might, you might say a pet dog so that they can be good in the home and I can walk them on the leash and they're you know calm when we're doing so and they can be around other dogs and other people and it's not a problem. Uh, so I want to give them all those skills. But I am seeking a certain mentality when I go into my sport training and these sessions, when I do these, this type of training, uh, it surely feels different and if you're just training the average pet dog and I want the dog to be more aroused. So I have these expectations of dynamic rewards um, or really excellent rewards. Uh, for, let's say I have the expectation of really favorable rewards for the dog or the dog has the expectation of that. So when we go into the session, they know that they're going to get really great things, things that might not be available to them in everyday life, but are available to them, uh, whether it's the way that I interact with them around a toy or whether it's just they get uh, like, you know, bigger food jackpots within this type of training that we're doing. Uh, but whatever, I try to cr- make these, th- these training sessions a little bit more special than if we're just walking around on a leash, you know, in everyday life, which I don't want my dog to be as aroused or stimulated or expecting as much from me for that. I want to be able to get my dog's attention. I want to be able to ask them to sit and for them to do that. 
I want to be able to use a leash if they don't and for them to sit with the leash because they know I mean it and they're not offended by that stuff. And this is all part of training. Uh, but there is a difference for what I seek uh, in terms of a mentality when I'm doing, let's call them sport training sessions versus when we're just hanging out in the house. And I contrast those, those worlds uh, as well. But the, the variable reinforcement schedule is what I said um, yeah, that's it. Um, schedule. B, B, yeah, before. So it's a schedule of reinforcement. And then we call it like compounding behaviors or stacking behaviors on each other. And so like when I am doing sport training, for example, and I want to keep the dog really energized in the work and focused on me despite what's going on around them. Like I want their attention. I want their full attention. I want their engagement. Um you know, like dogs that once they're past fluidity, once they're fluid with a certain behavior, like you cue it and they do it, you verbally cue it and they do it, or you hand signal or whatever your, whatever your cue is, whatever your signal is, and they do it yeah. in seven different environments under all these different distractions. So it's, it's proof. Um, you know, those are behaviors that I wouldn't reward every time anymore, right. because if you do keep it a, a, re, a fixed reward schedule on them, the expectation of reward every time you'll undermine the value for it. The dog doesn't have a chance to work as hard or doesn't have a chance to learn that the progression of training is actually what's reinforcing. So you ask them to sit and they're fluid and you know that they know that thing and they do it. And then you don't pay that one. And then you ask them to down. The dog goes, I can down too. And that's been fluid and that's been proved. And so you don't have to pay that every time. And then you ask them to stand or you ask them to come to heal or whatever. We, we just talked about yeah. this. but So you're stacking these behaviors on top of each other. And the dog learns that the further they go along in the training, the reward will likely will still pop up. And it's just good to be there interacting with you in a sense. But dogs that when we do this sport training, they tend to build uh, or become more energized when we go on variable reinforcement schedules because they do plan uh, for yeah. the training and the progression to lead and culminate at some point that's really favorable for them, their toy or a send away to their toy or a big jackpot of food or something like that. Yeah. And it's not the same mentality I'd want in everyday life though. Like I want to be able to call my dog into work. If I'm on the street hanging out at a barbecue or something like that and I call my dog in and say, Hey man, you want to do some healing? I want the power. But if I say, Hey, free, go wander around. I'm wanting to go wander around and just be a dog too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I think you touched base on that too. I think you called it like, um, secondary reward uh type situation where which like which part I, I guess my example would be keeping the dog guessing a little bit on you know keeping them like oh maybe i'll get paid maybe i won't like for me my dog lakota she'll work if she knows there's a ball in the field or a tug or any type of motivation in the field she'll i can feel her energy is is through mm. the roof i mean she's like she is like I ask to do one thing. She's like, okay, now what? Now what? Now what? Now what? Because she wants to go. And I think if yeah, you, she I, gets it. Yeah, yeah. and I she think, gets it. I think mm -hmm. that you, you've touched base on that before, where you're you're almost keeping the dog guessing, um, and rewarding the dog. And there's been a couple different tools. Um, for an example, like Dogtra has this, um, this, um, this remote collared, or I'm sorry, this remote, um, device that drops ball dropper. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks. I'm yeah. like trying to think of what it is, but yeah, like yeah, cool. keeping a dog uh, and just never really telling the dog exactly where it is or where it's going to come out from, and that really charges. I can just in the way that I feel it in in my my training with with her is it's very charged. It's like okay, when's it yeah. coming? When's it coming? When's yeah. it coming? And I may break it down and I may give it to them right away, and they're like hell yeah, and then I may make it stay a little bit longer. Um, but anyway, I think that 
I think that also too, going back to the food, I wanted to ask you a question on, and get your opinion on this because this is something that I have developed in my own head. Uh, this this process of, um, <clears throat> especially with with dogs who have been through a just a very generic puppy course on you know development and imprinting new behaviors and creating things. Um, do you find too? <clears throat> for me, this is how I feel. I I, o- I always try to go POV from the dog. So point of view from the dog always um, when I think about these types of things. And, and I find that if you reinforce the dog with food every single time, like we talked about, pay the dog with food every time, in conjunction with good sit, bam, good heel, bam, pain, whatever, because you feel like you need to because nobody's told you any different. Well, I have to pay my dog. They did what I asked, whatever. Do you find that in the future – if you ask the dog to do that exact behavior and it's not paired with the food because you, oops, forgot it, could there be some sort of confusion from the dog to say, well, did I not do it right? Did did you want me to do something else because they didn't get paid what they normally – so you're – does that make sense? You're associating that payment every single time, and when you don't have it, then the dog out into the field, if you will, may get mm-hmm. confused that maybe they didn't do what you've asked because you've always paired the two. Mm. Does that make yeah, sense? I think that's the that's the danger of staying on a fixed reinforcement schedule for for too long, is yeah. that the dog starts to depend on it, and then when they don't get paid, they think something's up or it's not worth doing any. Like either they're wrong or they're right. Or they're, okay. It's not worth doing anymore. I would worry most more about if they felt it was um, if they're if they're if they fail they're wrong or something. They might continue trying or do mm-hmm. something different. That could be. Uh, unless you've been hard on your dog and when they're wrong, they're really wrong and you've, you've taken your day out on them or something, but, yeah, but yeah, I'm, yeah. and I'm not saying you specifically, but, but if they, you know, if they don't get paid for doing something yeah. they thought they should have, and they don't have the, they don't have uh, the education to know that they should keep moving forward right. because it will come at some point, then, um, then that's the, that's the fallout of being on a fixed schedule for too long. You yeah. Say. And I, and I like, um, I like using. I, I really, really like using. Um, and I know you, you do too. Uh, maybe not prefer it, but I like using um, items instead of food, just because it's more engaging with me and the and the dog. But going back like to toys, like a toy, yeah, or something like a ball like or yeah. a toy. I just say this, Tom. So I know we've been talking about this quite a bit and and um, kind of circling the circling around it a little bit. But for this person that asked, I would just say, and this is something Mike Ellis always said, and it's for sure true. I would never like get away from rewarding my dog completely ever like Elzer still when I walk around on the street with him, he's a 10 year old dog. He carries his tug in his mouth on a leash, just chilling by my side, walking comfortably. And if I go, Hey man, you want to play? He'll turn around and expect the game of play. And if not, he doesn't look for it. And I don't mind it. It's like a pacifier for him. He just right, likes carrying right, it. We yeah. can walk for five miles and he'll just sit and hold that tug all the time. Yeah. And it's just because he seems to enjoy it. He's a cool, cool dog. I, it's his personality. I don't mind him doing that sort of thing. But just like I would never like stop rewarding my dog for things, I also will always be available to like help to enforce things that they know or they're meant to be doing. And so it's not like in dog training we suddenly go from – we're willing to use rewards to teach and maintain behaviors to we get fully away from them. And now I'm only going to hold my dog accountable by consequences that are adversive to the dog. Mm-hmm. It's I'm always going to, to, to be there to help move them through in the right direction to things. And I want them, you know, to be, 
as good as they can. So if they know something, if I've educated them properly and they're blowing it off or dog hair, excuse me, I got a dog hair in my mouth, not doing it, then I'm going to be there to big brother them a little bit and be like, yo man, you got to do this thing. Like we know it. And I'm asking them to do something and they do it, you know, exceptionally or we're just, I'm pleased with them or whatever. I just, I'll still be there if I got some food on to pay or chuck a stick for them or whatever, or to, or to give them a good boy. Yeah. But it makes sense to use these strong motivators in the beginning so that we can start to establish a language for learning and we can get the initial buy-in from the dog. And especially if you're a trainer out there that are training other people's dogs, you need to develop something fast and get the dog motivated yeah. and on board quickly. So yeah. we grab food because it's this universal thing that speaks right. to them and they're like, dude, I'm hungry. I'll hang out with you. And your personality and your um, good nature and kindness and empathy toward the dog and also your your skills as a teacher should also come along with that when you're educating them and so you put the tools in place as you go along in a thoughtful way and by the end of year however long you know people are doing training for you have month-long programs or two long month programs you should be far enough along where you've got a well-rounded language built into that dog they do things because there's been something good for it like in it for them you're worth paying attention to Um, you know if they're doing the wrong things you're also capable of stepping in and saying hey man remember you got to do this sort of thing like to put it simply Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I agree. And then the last yeah. thing I I want to talk about uh, is just referring back to that that guy that you were talking about that does the uh, IGP. What's his name? Peter Shirk. Peter, Peter Shirk. Shirk. Okay. Yeah. So he. So like what you were saying is um, with the food. I I just wrote something down that came to my head. It's like you almost with the food. Re- whatever reward you're doing. <laughs> excuse me. Whether it's ball, yep. food, tug, whatever. It's almost an activation with your with you as a person, and I and I tell mm-hmm. people that all the time. Where, um, you know, and I I deal primarily with behavior modification for pets. I don't do anything competition. I don't really mm-hmm. focus on uh, training obedience for any type of competitive realm. I'm really just a problem solver. But uh, obedience. Mm-hmm. But like, she did nice. Did some nice with Coda. Did some nice healing yeah. work with her. And yeah. 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 You like to. You like to. I do like to do muscle, it, which I is just, good. Yeah, I do yeah, like to do good. it, but it's not what everybody me. should be. Everybody should be curious about it. Like everybody should yes. look to be like, I should teach my dog something cool right now. Yeah. Like, dude, it's just dope. It's dope to see these dogs like learning shit and their eyes light up and be like, damn, yeah. man, we're like doing stuff together. Everybody should yeah. at least try something with whatever dog you have at home. Dude. Yeah. And I think and I think I should I should rephrase because I, I do a lot of obedience with my personal dogs, but my yeah. primary Right. Goal, right. especially with the head trainer of my own facility with four other full-time trainers, is behavior. If there's a dog yep. with a significant problem, if there's a dog who pulls on a leash and is jumping on people, they get referred to somebody else. Because, mm-hmm. um, and and it and I think also too, um, you know, behavior modification isn't isn't a higher or a better. I don't. I'm not better than my obedience trainers by any means in the dog world. It has it has no significance. And I think people think that that you're like yeah. oh. You know, you do you deal with dogs who want to hurt you, and and you know, that's just my forte. It's like I think it's like yeah. being like we talked about being uh, an artist. It's about you know, if you're a chef, you may be Italian, or you may be influenced American, or you may be influenced with Mediterranean or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. It doesn't really matter. There's different flavors, and you can make the same dish as everyone else. It's just influenced differently. And mm. so I, I so anyway so. We can talk on that another time, but going back to the activation process, um, <laughs> the activation process is is activating yourself with your dog in conjunction with the food. So when the food's not present, your dog still knows they've done what you've asked. And so mm. I, I I do that a lot with with dog owners who will you know say Fido here or come 
and they're standing like a board and they're like, come. And I'm like, you got to light up. You got to activate a little yeah, bit. Yeah. You got to, you got to yeah. draw them out, you know? So right. that's what I was. It's like, if you're, yeah, we're asking the dog to participate and we use the word engage to be engaged in the training. The person should meet the dog halfway at least and be as much engaged. Yeah. About it's all it. currency. And dogs care. Yeah, man. They care about like, do we approve? Are we impressed with that? Yeah. Tap. What's going on? Like, Am I pleasing you? Like those are, I think those are real things like that that the dog experiences. Yeah. So if you just make it about the food and giving them a piece of kibble because they did something, we're missing a huge opportunity yeah. to stand behind that and be there in a in a bigger way for our animal. I just say this: what you're talking, I, I get what you mean by activating. We do in the for sure, like when we're teaching like sport dogs to be pushy or just I should stop saying sport dogs. But if you want to teach your dog to be a bit pushy and like try to activate you, um, we 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 say we try to create active dogs versus reactive dogs. And so like an active dog is you don't have any food in the picture. Uh, maybe you got some in your pocket, but you're surely not showing, you know, the dog, you're not juggling three tennis balls going, if you look at me, then you'll get ah, this tennis ball. Right. You're kind of sitting there rather neutral. This is something we actually do charging the neutral picture and teaching the dog to offer behaviors. But, and your dog might come up and solicit and be like, Hey man, nudge your hand or bump you from the front and be like, you want to interact? You want to do something? And at that point, this is why markers are so important because they allow us to communicate that moment where the dog does effort into us, even though we might be acting like, um, you know, we're not available right now for interaction with them. And the dog pushes a little bit or tries something and we go, yes. And then we bring out the food. Now the dog is learning to be active versus reactive. Reactive would be, hey man, I've got some food. Yeah. You should pay attention to me. And that's what we do in the beginning, before the dog learns there's anything you know to be gained from interaction with us, we let him know, like, hey, man, I got some food. If you come over this way, hey, I'll click and give you some. But we've already showed them what's available and done the work for them. Yeah. And so an important step that anybody, if you're just interested in training and you want your dog to take more responsibility for the work, is to teach them to be an active dog. And a way to do that is to get them off of only responding to you when you make it known yeah, that you have something blatantly obvious that you've got something. Yeah. But it's like, if you've been working on recalls with your dog and your dog has only seen you sitting there with a whole hot dog going, come. Yeah. And the first time you ask them to do it without the hot dog, they're going to be like, bro, that ain't my recall. Yeah. And so really quickly you have to have a plan or a strategy for yeah. getting away from these obvious tells. And we use a marker system to do that because even if you're standing there and you go, come and your dog starts running you can go yes and then you yeah. can pull out the hot dog and the yeah. dog now you've bridged the connection between them choosing you and the predicted the reward that's predicted as a result of it so the food that comes after right and what comes to my head is just, it's not a and I'm, I'm all about metaphors so it's like okay it's give not, me a metaphor it's not about it's not about the, the destination it's about the journey it's about you know like yeah you may get food you may not you may come to me you may not but it's what happens <laughs> is that a is that a metaphor or more like an expression or no, it's just it's a, a word of wisdom, right? No, it's a metaphor. It's like, okay, maybe, no, it's, I think it's a metaphor. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, we're, we're comparing two things. That just sounds like a word of wisdom or something it like that. It could be a word of wisdom. wisdom. Well, I mean, anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah I'm going to call it a metaphor, but it could be cool. words of wisdom either way. But yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's what I'm thinking. I feel it's you. just like having, having like the, the, the journey of like getting these new behaviors and teaching your dog new things is, is more important than sometimes the end goal. Cause you're, you're, yeah. you're communicating and you're learning new things and you're, you know, whatever. So screw, yeah. screw my metaphor, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Right anyway. you're, I think you're, you are trying to draw some sort of comparison to like, um, 
journey of life and 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 also like training as a journey too so yeah. then we can give you the metaphor that's what it, I was it's saying. about comparison so yeah, yeah. That's i'm not trying saying. to make you feel silly man i was no. just i was trying to get on the no, page no it's all good that's why that's why i love uh chatting with you because you keep me in check yeah. and you're yeah. like hey that doesn't make fucking that's sense throw out that word yeah that's a simile well you didn't even use like or as that's not a simile <laughs> exactly <laughs> All right, that's all. Uh, that's all the questions I have for today. Um, this was fun, man. I, I appreciate you hopping on, and I think you know I enjoy it during quarantine. Um, I'm like, you know, it's it's great to to be able to hop on and and talk and learn new things. And um, yeah, so so for everybody out there that's either listening on the podcast or watching this via YouTube or whatever, uh, you can find Forrest on Instagram at Forrest Mickey, M I C K E. Forrest, F O R R E S T, at yep. Forrest Mickey. Two R's, yeah, you got it. <laughs> and then, uh, so uh, yeah, and then we talked about this on our Instagram live. But right now, uh, I mean, outside of COVID, you're you're just primarily teaching uh, at Michael's school periodically throughout the year. You're not doing any like private classes or, right? Yeah, no, I um I do have like if anybody's out there listening to this, I don't know who be listening to this, but and, and knows about me, um, I have at the bequest of a number of students um, started a, an obedience group. Um, you know, I'm not, a, I'm, and we're going to, we're doing it in Google Hangouts. Um, oh, cool. So it's a matter of like, um, it's Is it like a chat, sub- chat room. Type yeah. Thing? Well, um, you can, you know, students are, they're working on obedience um, skills. They want some guidance with it. They'll shoot a YouTube video, share the link for us to watch. We can comment on it and have our discussions. And then ah. um, we do. We will meet weekly for our Zoom meeting. But I'm doing it right now with a small group. Um, it wasn't something I was planning on doing, but they really uh, convinced me to do it. So it is something that I've um, have ex- accept, accepted because I like them all. But I'm open to that. Um, I've over the years, like the last few years, especially, I've taken a step back. I was doing a lot of like virtual teaching and running online classes. I know that it's really like popular and necessary right now just because of the state of things. But for me, I'd already done that for a number of years and it was, um, I was a little bit disconnected from hands-on dog training with people and and craved that more. So I am slowly um, opening myself back up to that uh, a bit, which I'm not teaching classes with, um, with Learberg anymore. They do have information that I've created with them. So that's available there. But in terms of any like guidance that I'm giving, um, from a distance, uh, I do have some availability. So if somebody's listening to this, you could reach out to me, send an email, or even message me on the Instagram. And if you wanted to be involved in the next group, then that would be a possibility. So. Yeah, that that sounds cool. And then, uh, yeah, I think we should do this again. Um, we're just gonna keep switching up platforms and see what's gonna be comfortable for us. And um, in the future, what I want to do is, uh, you and I were supposed to at least meet once this year. Um, but in the future, yeah. I want to. Your your Australia thing's canceled, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. That sucks. yeah. So just trying to get Jordan. Yeah. Over here. Yeah. Yeah. I was saying it's, this has been, um, yeah, man, thanks. And I was dig chatting with you. This one, I know people are going to hear this right now. We're acting like we're off the, like off the air or off whatever you would say. Um, yeah. It's, there's a different energy, isn't it? When you do it live. Yeah. Uh, well, because like almost because like things just stream. That's yeah, why, that's why I, yeah. And that's, that's why I was like, I want to do it a little bit, not intimate, but like, I want to do it a little bit more personal with you like i want to have a conversation because mm-hmm. i think like my viewers i mean we have over two hundred thousand downloads on the podcast i think we have like 50 this will be 51 or 52 anyway so cool. you know lots of people listen um yeah thousands of of, of yeah. people and, and a lot of people are you know i think for me like i i would 
like you're not i'm not interviewing you we're having a conversation yeah. you know yeah that's right and yep. i find i find that like for me what i like what i like consuming is two professionals um having a conversation i think that that is yeah. not only inter- interesting but i think it's also really beneficial for especially when we're asking questions and stuff like that and i find with lives like i said like instagram live is fun because we can get like you know oscar and people popping in saying hi that's cool but yep. it, it limits us to our focus and it also limits yep. us to our time because there's only an yep. hour um yep. and i find like especially when i do like youtube lives and stuff Mm-hmm. I mean, there's hundreds of bah, 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 and you're just like, it's, yeah. No matter how good you are at distractions, yeah. it's yeah. still a little bit daunting, and you kind of it kind of takes you away from the conversation. And so that's yeah. why I, I like doing cool. these things. And yeah. I think in the future, just because people are becoming um, more involved with everything that I've got going on with social media, and we're we're growing, and I'm very grateful for that. But I think in the future too, um, you know, w- once we get together again, we can do some live stuff and maybe put together some training videos too. If um, people are interested in that and um, you know, we, we got some things up the, up the sleeve, but yeah, I like, yeah. this is fun just cause again, like yeah. it, it gives us an opportunity to have a conversation and just mm-hmm. two professionals on really two mm-hmm. ends of the spectrum of what, what you do in, um, in the dog world and what I do in the dog world. And mm. it's just nice to, like I said, there's some, there's some conversations that I listen to on podcasts that are, are like an interview. How'd you start? Where are you from? Yep. How many dogs yep. do you have? Which is fine. Yep. It's cool yeah. if people yeah, want to yeah, know. Yeah. But I, I yep. personally, especially you, like you and I are, you know, we've built a friendship over the last five or so years too. So it's nice mm-hmm. to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. And for yep. me, for me, that's I like try to put out content that I would like to consume. And for me, yeah, it'd be like, right I want to hear these guys talk and see what they have to say. And so I like. Yeah, this. yeah. Did yeah, you like it? Did right you on. enjoy this a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The chat. Here's what I was thinking. The challenging thing is when you when you ask people to send in questions, you know, as dog trainers, our first question is, is always to ask a question back. Like I need to know more. Yeah. And so like, well, what, what else? Like what more? I know. And so it's hard when you, you know, like personally, it just is where my mind is at. My mind spins and go, wow, I need a ton more information to like even speak to this thing. And so that's just a good practice for my, myself anyway. So yeah, especially for you. And that's why I, you know, I chose some of these things for that reason. Cause I knew you would, your, your head would start spinning on like, well, especially the question on the the dog in the car, you were pissed. (laughs) You were like, I need, I need more information. I just don't know if it, no, I know, you know, know, that's the beauty of, of doing this type of stuff. I think it's fun. I think, I think like over time, like you've done your fair share of, uh, production value content for mm-hmm. multiple different platforms. And, and, you know, I think it's and so have I over the last couple of years. And I think it's just fun to be a little bit more, uh, transparent and like, no, yeah, hell no, yeah, man. No That's edit what's up. Like, we know, need to be, yeah, we yeah. need to be there's Cause, like, cause I don't want, keep... yeah, I don't want like you or I to go out for a seminar and people are like, that's not the guy I know. It's like, I don't want to yeah. be like, if you know, when people come into my facility and they're, you know, driving from Indiana, they're driving from California, Colorado. I'm, I don't want them to show up and think I'm somebody I'm not. That's, that's scary. Right. That's yeah. scary to me. I don't try to persona yeah. myself as a certain, you know, character, but anyway, so yeah. I, I think having these conversations and being raw and just giving people free stuff is cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you, man. And I would just say if anybody like what I would love for folks to get out of like listening to us rap, like if, if there's one message that they get overall, the macro message, it's just that we are advocates for people doing more with their dogs, like carving out some time, 
it's a great time. It's right never now. a bad time to own a dog, but great yeah. time to, to own a dog, put some time into your dog. And there's so much information out there uh, and resources available to folks. So just if we can instill a bit more curiosity and effort into folks to want to do more, I yeah. think so, so many are, but even if you're listening to this, like, Get it, man. Yeah. Go out there and get it. Get it done. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't yet, don't forget, screenshot this, share it on your Instagram, and tag me at Tom Davis, and I will repost it. I always like to see where you guys are from. And if you guys want to follow Forrest, you can at Forrest Mickey. It's just his first and last name. Uh, last name is spelled M-I-C-K-E. And this was a great conversation. And we're going to do this more often. This is fun. I'm, I'm very happy to distribute this content of Forrest and I having conversations. And I hope it was helpful. I hope that you uh, learn maybe something from it as well as just entertaining you during these weird times. So thank you guys for listening. And I will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.